are live and on time for another episode of First Strike. It's KYT with the boys, Andy and Derek. We welcome two special guests. One, a frequent returning guest because he's having such a heater over the past year, Edgar Magalhaes. Once again, with another good result this time, top eighting GP province. And we got one of my best friends in the magic content creation realm and one of my favorite players of all time, Jerry Thompson. How's it going? Edgar. It's going well. Thanks for having me again. Glad to be here. And how's it going, Jer? I have no complaints. <laughs> Happy to be here. All right. I, I, I'm just going to, let's just jump straight uh, to you, Jerry. Uh, you've got some auction that, that ends up in about, I think, five days. So uh, I, I just want you to tell our listeners about that. Yeah. So I do the game podcast with uh, Brian Gottlieb, who people who have been following the First Strike Nation for a long time are probably very familiar with. And our reach has been getting bigger and bigger, and we were discussing uh, how we could best utilize that for good. And I had done some charity auctions before, and people in our Discord had suggested it. So we put kind of a cool spin on it where we decided what we want to do, and we let the, the Patreons of our podcast vote on it. So... It's running Sunday to Sunday, should end around uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, I heard Brian on one of the episodes says he might jump in. Some of the products are that cool that, that he might be competing with other people. Yeah, so over the years, and I'm sure a lot of people, you know, the people that we're talking to today on the podcast, you can attest to this. It's like every pro tour, you get a bunch of random swag, but what do you necessarily do with it? And Mine, uh, I, I've just been like collecting over the years, knowing that I would do something like this. And so I have a bunch of like the Pro Tour bags and like the Pro Tour playmats that I bought while I was at the PTs and everything, a bunch of sleeves, deck boxes and stuff. And then the 25th anniversary kind of gave like this nice opportunity to collect some even cooler stuff where you have like the foil playmat that was given away or uh, sold, I guess, at all the double GPs. And then I picked up some other swag and Michael Majors was kind enough to donate his 25th anniversary playmat that only Wizards of the Coast R&D members got, which features just like this cool, uh, I don't know, like new-ish versions of all the moxes. And it's all for a great cause. Uh, where can people go check it out? What's the quickest way? Uh, probably just find the link on Twitter because it's, I mean, if you search on eBay for the game podcast and like charity auction and stuff like that, you will almost certainly find it. But my Twitter has a direct link. Uh, and it's just been retweeted all over the place. So I'm pretty happy about that. But yeah, it's going to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is certainly a cause that is near and dear to me, and I'm sure many others as well. Awesome, awesome. Uh, you just talked about how uh, you've realized that, that you're gaining some scene, gaining some traction, and I'm seeing uh, the game podcast grow. Uh, I don't know if it's because you guys have put more effort into spreading it, or, or Brian's just a just killing it, but I've, I've seen more uh, of you guys, uh, on, whether it's on different different social feeds. And but I've always thought that uh, you have potential to do that, Jerry. And, and we're seeing that it, other people, other competitive players, are trying to jump in. I think a few years ago, there, there were talks from some of my more competitive friends about starting a super competitive podcast that never really materialized. And, and now finally, recently, finally saw PV uh, come out with one. Um, why, why do you think it's taken so, so long for, for pros to, to try to attack these different avenues, whether it be podcasts or, or, or even YouTube? Uh, I don't 
think that people are very good at figuring out ways to make money is basically the gist of it. But I, I had a conversation with Sam Black about the podcast and, uh, you know, like we're, we're making decent money, right? So he, he's not one to leave the value on the table. Neither is Paulo. And just the next week they had an episode out. So it, it sometimes it is just as simple as that is like, you see someone else being successful in the realm and you just try and grab a piece of it. I just think you had a lot of ideas that, for me, like I have similar ideas, but I just don't have the, the credentials or the skills to do them. Like, for example, one of the ideas you've talked about on the show that I also visualize always is a place with all the basics or um, like fundamentals of different formats or just like an encyclopedia that someone can just go back to all the time that has timeless, either timeless articles or videos or things that are constantly maintained and updated. And now we're seeing all these different types of content. I just I felt they would be successful. Like PV came out with his video course that you know no one else uh, has this, up to this point has decided to do, and maybe we're going to see more of that. People have done like Mike, or Mike Flores has done an audio book. He tried to go that route. I don't know how successful that was, but from what I hear, the PV video, video course is real successful. And then uh, I don't know if if you ever thought of something doing something like that. Uh, I mean, I definitely have. Like I have a bunch of half written books. You know, it on my computer and on my phone and everything. It's just, you know, the the logistics of where am I going to post this? How am I going to monetize it? Just if someone had set that stuff up for me, I'm I'm sure it would be easier for me to just be like, okay, well now it's time to actually put in the work because it's going to be easy. And I think that's kind of what happened with Paulo and Spice Academy is that there there is at least one person I know behind the scenes who is responsible for actually putting that thing together. Paulo's just the person who has all the information, you know? Yeah, and I think there is a market for even more, more uh, competitive players. So, so I hope to see more of that because, hey, competitive players uh, need, want that type of contact, clearly, and uh, there's room for way more. Like you said, there's room for way more podcasts besides the game podcast. So pretty awesome to see all around. Um, so I, I was listening to, to the podcast that you did with Brian heading into the GP you were talking about Black Red, and then you said, like, I'm, I'm probably not going to play Black Red. What did you end up playing and why? Well, I was going to play Black Blue Midrange, which I think I mentioned on the podcast, and then I did some, some spell slinging, and even against the good matchups, like the Turbo Fog deck and, like, the various control decks and everything, like, the games just all took 40 minutes. So I could not, in good conscience, register that deck for a Grand Prix, even though other people have been successful with it. I just thought that there was too much of a danger of getting draws and stuff. So uh, it also turned out that a friend of mine, uh, Varro, sent me a really sweet-looking red blacklist with Inventor's Apprentice, which is a card I really like, and he hyped it up pretty hard. It ended up being like, okay, not great, but... <laughs> played, played red black, basically. And I dropped it 5-1. and one. You dropped it 5-1? and one? Yeah, I had a migraine, so I went to... You know, go get some aspirin. My bed was comfortable. I just stayed there. <laughs> Sounds good. Edgar, you, you went undefeated on day one. Best start ever. Yeah, definitely. The best start I've ever had at a Grand Prix, too. I was 10-0 and 0 before I finally took a loss. What was your weapon of choice? I also played a blue, or rather, I did play a blue-black mid-range deck. Um, Daniel Fournier actually messaged me early on in the week mentioning the possibility of playing that deck, but I was pretty set on playing red-black. And then I listened to the game podcast, and Jerry uh, briefly mentioned blue-black, and that kind of gave me 
a little bit more of an inkling towards going that way. Uh, but then when we were traveling down, we actually got stuck in the airport for a couple hours, uh, me and Fournier, and he, he convinced me that it was the right choice to play the night before the Grand Prix. So when I woke up at 8.30 in the morning on Saturday, I decided to run with it and just registered to 75, and it worked out. Is there anything specific about his, his list that you're, you're calling it Fournier's list? Uh, no, it's, it's pretty stock, but uh, he had some... We played like three champions in the main, one in the sideboard, and he had like Eldest Reborn in the main as opposed to like a different grindy five drop. But the, all the lists are, are pretty stock. We definitely missed a couple things. Uh, like we probably should have had some number of sensors and like maybe another Gear Hulk, but the list was just clean. It was tight. Not, nothing too uh, special though. What, what was it optimized to face? Like what type of field were you, were you expecting? Well, we did expect a lot of the red black deck. Um, which we made some concessions to, like the Eldest Reborn over some of the other grindy cards is a little bit better than against Red Black, and we played some like Essence Extractions and Yehenny's Expertises in the sideboard. I think slightly more than a normal list. Uh, but we were more capitalizing on the fact that the Red Black lists were skewing pretty hard to beat each other and making a lot of concessions in their deck to beat each other, like playing more Phoenixes, main deck sprays, less Pias. Uh, and I think we were able to take advantage of that by attacking them with a deck that they were less prepared to face than previous weeks. How how was the top eight? How did it go down? In the top eight, I played against Cuneo, uh, who I beat in the Swiss in round 12, I think. And we played a close three-game set. Um... There was a spot in game three where maybe I could have played a little bit better, but it kind of just came down to us exchanging resources and then his last card being Gear Hulk and me not being able to take it off the table. But it, it was close. Um, it's a matchup that I, I, I think is overall pretty good for me, but the game one I ended up losing, which is to be expected, and I drew Bloodfast in game two, but game three I didn't have any of my like Haymaker cards, so it was a little bit closer, and I just lost a close one to a, a really good player. So. Maybe I could have played better. Who knows? But uh, eager to run it back? No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think that, uh, like I was saying, the the deck was kind of capitalizing on the the inbred meta game, and I, I used to make fun of Derek for playing blue black mid range when red black was the best deck, like around nationals time, uh, because I thought that that matchup was very good for red black. Because I and, and I and I still think that it is. If I think if the red black lists are expecting the blue black deck like they were back in nationals and like playing like a, a chunk of doom falls and like better four drops for that matchup I, I think the match is pretty favorable for them and and i think with the recent results that the blue black deck had this weekend like putting benjamin made it the finals at uh la i, I top it in providence and it won like two or three nationals i think so I, I think people are playing it more on moto and the red black lists are gonna start respecting it again, and, and I think they beat up on that deck pretty easily if they want to. Derek, you, you've been messing out with Red Bly. What, what do you think? Yeah, I was very surprised when, uh, when because I saw that Edgar was 10-0, and I'm like, oh, he's doing very well with Red Black this week after he did very poorly in Florida last weekend. It's like, wow, you know, maybe it's just like a spike of variance. And then I go over to Fournier's Facebook feed, and it's yeah, Edgar played my 75. Your red black 75? No, 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 my blue black 75. 
oh, how did you convince him to fall down that hole? Because there was like a four-month span where him and Keith were ripping into me for playing this deck that has no good matchups and going third, and now I can't beat Red Black. And now he's 10-0 at a Grand Prix where I expected like 60% of the field to be Red Black. So I just like want to figure out when you guys are going to say you're sorry for being wrong. Um, but like that hasn't come yet, so I don't know what's going on. But uh, yeah, I still would not play Blue Black. I think it's asinine to do so. Uh, <laughs> and that's just my take on it. <laughs> uh, so, so Jerry, play Black Red, but Teferi is still the best deck in the format. Uh, best card in the format, sorry. Yeah, definitely best card in a vacuum, but has a worse supporting cast than the red cards for sure. Andy, any any thoughts on standard? Uh, well, I really, really love playing with Teferi. There's few greater feelings than uh, once you start getting ahead with Teferi. It just feels like the game's over if it survives a turn very often. So I've been playing a lot of the, the Turbo Fog deck and trying to fix some of the problems that it that it does have. And so I feel like I've, I've a lot of the problems have been fixed. Like people finally grew up and played Settle the Wreckage in the deck and didn't rely on eight Fogs, when sometimes Fogs just are one of some of the bad worst cards you could have in a lot of matchups. And I've been doing a lot better with it, but I, I'm still having some kinks. Like I still have a hard time beating the card Walking Ballista. Still have a really tough time with the Blue Black decks now that they're back, especially on Moto, because that's 100% where I've been testing it on Moto. Blue Black's just everywhere all of a sudden. And that, that deck has been cr- crushing me over and over again. Basically, even pre-board, I, I just get all my stuff for Askus Contempted, and then I die. <laughs> all right. Moving on from, from Standard, I, I thought, uh, if, I think it was Cedric's idea based on how I read uh, your article, Jerry. A cool concept with uh, Jerry and Seth going at each other over Militia Bugler. Uh, I think it was an awesome idea. I think uh, I'd like to see it more often, even though Cedric might be throwing you a layup uh, <laughs> to do so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Andy, Andy was also on board with, with Bugler very early. Felt really comfortable going to four. And I think said even Andy, you thought you were on board with cutting image and was it Reflector Mage? Yeah, those, those are the first two cards I cut in the very first iteration of the deck. And I was playing four week one. And <laughs> it's weird because, like, before the set came out, my friend told me, like, he thinks this card's going to be really good in humans. And I, I kind of looked and was like, ah, it doesn't sound very good in humans. doesn't seem like what it wants. And then it just ended up being... Com- I was just completely wrong. It was just insane in humans. I think it um, changed... Basically, I think if humans would have a metagame where it's not that good but now it has like it's pretty a pretty good choice in almost any kind of metagame now because of bugler i think in the set piece he's like jerry can you like agree with me that anyone cuts it for <laughs> for the cards that you cut it for Andy are insane so how do you feel about that Andy? and and you actually think that you're okay with playing for now yeah uh, so there was the list that did very well in the mocks that was actually went down to two Reflector Mage to play four Bugler and keep the four image. And I sort of, uh, I sort of am on board with that because I feel like I, I haven't liked Reflector Mage in this format very much at all. And Militia Bugler has been better against the decks that Reflector Mage was good, except for the ones that like you were already a dog, like the Infects, the Affinities, the decks that I think were going to beat you anyway 
most of the time. But now, like the Mardus and the Juns and uh, those kind of decks where you were trying to rely on sometimes Reflector Maging, I think just having four Buglers and just never running out of gas, and it's just going to end up being more important in those matchups than bouncing a guy to like get in through. Well, what do you think about that, Jerry? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I mostly agree with that. I do think that in in certain metagames, Bugler is just not very good, and that's kind of where we are right now, where there's just a lot of emphasis put on speed and everything. So the the benefits that Bugler does provide you aren't aren't good in every scenario, you know. And I think Cedric is probably having this case of small sample size where he just runs into like KCI every round or whatever and just, you know, doesn't want it against these turn three combo decks. Yeah, but so, so my point of view on that is like, so a lot of, so I'm cutting Reflector Mage in particular. Like you could argue that I could go up to four Thalia before doing that to, to add the Bugler. But I think that the, the cards that matter are like against those kind of decks are just like only like Thalia, Metalium Mage, and uh, Kiteo Freebooter. And at least having Militia Bugler serve as a pseudo split card between all these other cards is, puts you in a better position position than just having a bunch of Reflector Mages still in your deck in this kind of a metagame. Yeah, you only end up down one image, so it's not really a big deal. Sweet. Um, all right, on to our next topic. Um, so lots of talk on Twitter this week. Lots of... Uh, discussion more so than, than the usual week and uh, one of the big topics is uh, people have been getting their hall of fame ballots uh, and people are discussing who they would pick and articles and blog posts are finally coming out which are which are awesome some of them that have come out are super awesome going really in depth at who they would choose and has, has uh, played an influence on, on who i would put on my ballot as well, Jerry, I wanted you to come on because also because you have an insight into some of these players that no one else does. I mean, you you're vouching. I don't know if you're vouching for for Ken as a as a vote, but as a good like you tweeted that the reasons you liked him, and then he's he's like, oh, easy, he's on my ballot. Um, so, do you think Ken is a good vote for this uh, for this year? It depends what your metrics are. I think a lot of people vary between like oh the the hall should be small i'm gonna vote for like maybe one or two people every year and that's it and then there are people where i i think i am kind of in this camp now where that's not really what the hall represents currently so i'm just going to continue to vote for the hall as it stands now where like people like juza and shota can get in because you know that they are masters even though they might necessarily like fully have these results uh so yeah, I mean, Ken is a person who I think people probably don't know a lot about, and he has, like, very awesome stats across the board uh, from what I remember looking at them earlier this week, but he, he also just seems like a very positive influence on Magic, and he does have a pedigree as a deck builder and everything, and he has four Pro Tour top eights, which, uh, if you discount the people with cheating allegations against them uh, from this ballot, then like he's up there at the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's up there at the top. Um, it, but you, so how much do you care about Pro Tour top eights personally? Is like, are you caring about like the minimum four that that 
I feel a lot of people are putting as their base minimum to get voted in. Four, especially if it's not over the course of like 60 Pro Tours like Akeda, uh, I, I think is a pretty good metric. But yeah, mostly, you know, it, it has to be four within like a specific amount of time, right? If you're top eating like one out of every 15 or 20 Pro Tours, like that's not great. But, you know, one out of 10 or slightly better than that, I think is pretty good. Um, we had John Stern on last week, and he said that he, he's considering KZ because of his four Pro topics, but he felt like his career was too short. That that's what he he thought as a downside uh, that he didn't. He had 206 Pro points. That maybe he just showed excellence in too small of a time frame. Uh, what about you? I mean, it, it was a time frame when a lot of people were at their peak, right? So. You, you can make a case for that, but also having a low amount of pro points doesn't necessarily matter either because pro points were more difficult to come by. Like gold back then was 20 pro points and it's basically 35 now. So it's like almost double. I mean, if you want to like kind of like just twist the math however you want, it's like, well, he's got like a virtual 350 pro points and the Pro Tours were harder, so, like, maybe if he was playing now, he'd have, like, six top eights, and then it's just like, well, he's a slam dunk, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you you can just you. twist your argument however you want. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, uh, Magical Tom was on last week also, and he, he talked about how he felt recent Pro Tour top eights are worth more. And that's why your top eights are worth more to him. Why? Because it's just... I, it's harder to top eight now, or there, there's more people, or, or players are better. I don't know about that, though. I don't know the exact reason. The usual argument is that people are a lot stronger now, and he also said that you're able to give people's deck lists, your own deck list, what you're going to play this upcoming big tournament, and you're still able to top eight, and that actually counts for something for him. So Yeah, but that's because no one listens to me. <laughs> no one cares, man. It, like, how many people at the Pro Tour like, buy my deck list before the tournament? If I was hand, if I was standing on the street corner handing him out for free, like a lot of people would just like you know be like one of the the random flyers that people give out or whatever. They just be like, yeah, thanks. You crumple it up, throw it in the trash. <laughs> just be like, have you let Jerry Thompson into your life this evening? Yeah, no, no, not today. Please, sir, let him into your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah, that is kind of true. I, I, I was, uh, I think it was. For national MTG, uh, for Canadian nationals, I, I was uh, in a hotel room. I was just planning to do coverage, um, and I was in a room with uh, other people that were considering playing red black. And then you had just posted your list on, on your Patreon, which I'm a pat- proud patron of. And I'm like, hey, Jerry just posted their list, and they just looked at it and went, <laughs> so maybe they're not. Maybe what you're saying is right, Jerry. Um, but is there anyone on, on this list that you think deserves to be that people just don't know too much about? Maybe like some of the uh, older players that, that were not voted in the, the last couple of times. I mean, I, I have stories for basically all these folks. Like, I don't know. What, what, what kind of dirt do you want? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, let's not start with... The- we want all of it. <laughs> Up in Canada, we love drama. Yes, I don't believe you. Oh, come on. We, we can't lie legally. It's against the law for Canadians to lie. 100%. We love it. 
I don't, I don't uh, involve myself in too much drama. <laughs> um, what about uh, so, like some good stuff first? Um, like Justin Gary, I think it's someone that the current crop of players, uh, or not, not necessarily players, but uh, content producers might not know too much about. Uh, is there a case to be made for him with uh, three Pochor top eights, one win, and uh, yeah. Uh, well, what do I, what do I say here? His, his numbers are definitely very, very good. I do think that he is very good. I was playing a little bit back then, but his career kind of ended like right as I started going to things. So I didn't have a whole lot of personal interaction with him. It always seemed like he was the, the person who, was kind of in, like, Rob Doherty, Darwin Castle's shadow as far as, like, YMG is concerned. But it's, like, if you actually look at the numbers, like, his stats are just better, basically, on all metrics than the other YMG guys. He just didn't have as many top eights over, like, a longer period. Uh, that said, I don't know exactly how clean all the YMG guys were. I've heard stories, but it's, like, basically impossible to figure out if they're true or not. And this is not me saying that like, oh, they're all like savage cheaters or whatever. It's just like, I I have heard a lot of stories. Some are true, some are not. It is impossible for me to figure out which at this point. So I have no idea. Um, I think a lot of the main reason I feel this, this Hall of Fame talk has, has had more discussions than ever before was, was all, all the controversy and how... Some, some of the people at the top with the most Pro Tour top eights, a lot of players have come out and, and felt that they're, they're not clean, they're sketchy reputation and stuff like that. And now we're seeing a response from other people saying, well, you know, these are just stories from other people. Like these guys have never been officially um, suspended or, or penalized for cheating and any of that. And so they've decided to vote uh, for them uh, because of their insane results. Jerry, where, where do you stand on, on that? Like, are you in the same spot, or do you have like firsthand experience that actually influences how you're gonna choose between? Uh, of course, I'm talking about Seth Manfield, Li Shitian, and and like, I think those two are, are the ones that are most discussed about because those two have the most insane results. But then there's a lot of voices about like how you know, they they were, I guess, scummy to them or something. But those are just stories, and and to me, like, I'm I'm not sure what to believe, honestly. So word so. Uh, this, this is where I've been around, basically. Like, I, I know if there is a story about these players, I probably know it. Uh, maybe I'm an honorary Canadian because I do actually like the drama. And let, let me, let me just say this. If you have 10 plus stories about you doing sketchy things, regardless (laughs) of how many of them are actually true or accurate, you are probably doing sketchy things. And to say that, well, uh, you know, they're currently not banned by the DCI, therefore they're clean, is just complete BS because, you know, there are people like Alex who are still playing. And it's like, yeah, he's been caught before or whatever, but, like, how, how many total years has he spent able to play Magic? Like, it takes time to actually catch people and make a case and things like that. Like, it is... Not easy, especially when people aren't, like, palming opening sevens in their lap like Steven Speck, right? Or, like, blatantly shuffle cheating. It's the opportunistic stuff that is the hardest to catch and is still basically just as bad as stacking your deck or peeling extras or hiding a Hornet Queen or a Nerve Playmat or whatever. 
Oh, now I'm back to not knowing what to do. <laughs> you know, okay, so the last two Hall of Fames have been uh, Raptor, Juza, Owen, Yuya. Of the five of us here, how many stories can, can we think of or remember that were told about anything sketchy involving those four players? Not, not that I remember. No. Literally zero from what I've heard. With four people, that's Hall of Fame, right? That means these players are clean. They have been clean for forever. If you are clean, there will be literally zero stories about you. The end. Andy, Andy, jump in. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I don't know. So I went from like, so when I think of Li Shi Chen, I, I had not heard a single thing until this, this year's Hall of Fame. I had I'd actually not heard a single story, and then all of a sudden there seems to be so many. And so I, I question the timing, but obviously saying something at all is, is a net positive if it happened to you. But it, it leads me down the road of like, I, I thought, oh, he's a slam dunk. I'm happy for him. He seems like a pretty upbeat guy, seems fun to be around. And then all of a sudden all this, it just, I don't know. It just uh, makes me not sure what to do, not sure what to think. The stories that have come out about Lee are, are, are basically not recent, though, too. It's like him playing a second land on camera or using a summoning six Sylvan Karyatid for mana when he needed to. And uh, Chapin documented a lot of this stuff, I think, for Worlds in, like, 2015 or whatever. He wrote an article about it for SCG. So, like, the, the stories are old. That might be why you haven't heard of them, because there hasn't been a ton of stuff lately that I know of. Yeah, I suppose, like, in retrospect, I remember the extra land, but just kind of brushed it off at the time. And now is that everything's, like, all of the stories from, like, a couple, like, a story a year are all culminating right now. And so now it just feels like so much out of nowhere, even though it's been sort of happening the whole time, I guess. Derek, you, you've heard a lot of stories. Yeah, uh, the extra land thing, there was the carry added thing. There's something else at that PT. I think that was the one where they, they built the deck around that combo with the one mana blue spell. You like tap it, return it. Oh, just guy ascendancy. There's something else in one of those matches. I, I don't remember if it was the extra land thing or not, but there's a couple things I remember hearing about him because that was his fourth PT top eight or his fifth. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. Who is this guy? And it's like, he's only been on the PT for seven years. It's like, oh. You go back and you look at a bunch of stuff about him, and it's like, yeah, there's stories about him. Uh, and I don't know if it's because like he's been flying under the radar, but like five PT top eights is a lot. Um, it's 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 obviously something that people would just not auto vote him in, right? Because he has you have to be some amount of sketchy, or there has to be something wrong for people to just be like, oh, this guy's a shoe in on five, right? Uh, to me, like, there's obviously enough on him but then again like i don't have a vote and i don't know it's not really my place to say but i have heard things about him it is awkward for me to have people just be like no like you know he just made mistakes they're all accidents even though they all ended up in his favor but then in the same breath they're just like oh man he's like so good at magic and he deserves to be in the hall because like he's a modern master and like all this stuff and it's like are, are you truly a master of the game if you are continually making mistakes with, like, your own combo decks that you're supposed to be a master of? You know, like, a lot of this stuff doesn't add up, especially when 
you look at like the people who are retweeting the defenses of him and it's all like Dazani, Saito, like all these other people that have allegations against them as well. It's just, I don't know, man. It's, it's not a good look. It's, it's tough. But, but now, Jerry, what do you think about all this people coming with blog posts about like, okay, maybe it's our own biases and stuff. So that's like now, now people feel, I feel like now people feel a lot more comfortable voting for these, uh, this player or these players. And, you know, if, if I had to guess who's a shoe in to make it right now, based on Twitter alone, and I've used Twitter to predict the past Hall of Fame of who, who's likely to make it, and it seems to be, each time, seems to be pretty spot on. I, I don't feel like there's been any surprises. It does seem like, I'm judging from Twitter, that, that Seth and Li Chi Tian seem like blocks to me at this point. Yeah, I, I basically agree with that. I do think that Ken is flying a little bit under the radar because, I, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people don't know a lot about him and that they don't really realize that he has like four top eights until they check the stats, you know? Just, he, fl- he flies under the radar. He's not doing a ton of self-promotion. He's not like Yuya where people are just like, he is the literal best player in the world, right? Uh, as As for the biases thing, like, People have talked about that in previous years, certainly where there's a North American bias. And I think uh, Sana basically had it right where maybe it's just like an English speaking bias. Where if we can't communicate with these players, we can't hang out with them, we can't make friends with them when we go to PTs, we don't know their story. They're like these mysteries to us and like we fear what we don't understand, right? That almost inevitably, you know, something is going to happen and then it's just going to create a bunch of, like, drama and mystery surrounding it. And, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe we are all just racists. Uh, I think that is certainly a possibility, actually. Uh, it is definitely normal for us to, like, give our countrymen the benefit of the doubt uh, than it is to, say, like, a random Chinese player, right? But... I do think it is the English-speaking thing that is a main factor for it, for sure. Man, there's so much to digest <laughs> in my head. It is. <laughs> like, I know, I know personal... I have some pretty close friends uh, at the elite levels that, that have told me, you know, some stories. So it, that's why it's like, I don't know. Uh, and then there's other players that I respect who are, who are feeling the, the complete opposite way. And like, they're definitely voting for them. And then there's people like, no, no, they, they did this to me. And so I don't, yeah. So, so Marin worked with some Americans, but mostly it was like a group of Belgians who were friends with Americans like Zach Hill and a couple other people. And then Martin Juza is a person who is firmly in the camp of, I'm going to work with Americans instead of Europeans. And Martin had no problem getting in, even though I think his results were like a little bit short, especially like on the pro tour level, you know? And I, I think that's kind of where like that, that bias sort of manifests itself and shows itself where it's like, yeah, clearly something is going on. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't vote for Chusa because I, I didn't think he had the results, but uh, since then he's able, he's, he's put up like his resume looks really good now. So uh, props to him. Isn't it, um, isn't it weird, though? Because it's like, how, how big of a difference is one PT top eight? Like, before PT 25, was Martin as good as he was, you know, three days later? No. Yeah, but, that, that, that's a point I brought up last week about talking about who I would consider voting for. It's like, I don't think person X 
I don't think that I'm going to think they're a better player because they got one more top eight. I st- I'm still just going to think they're insane, but now like they got to realize it a bit more and everyone else gets to realize it a bit more. So I, I agree with like the, it, it feels bizarre that like one result is like, okay, fine. Woof, we didn't make a mistake on this one. <laughs> and it's funny because there's been a few people who've gotten in like maybe a top eight short that they should have. And like, a, I think, a few of them just immediately got another top eight. Cause I remember like, I think Owen got in at four and then immediately got another one. Shouta got in at three, immediately got another one and Yuza immediately got another one. I, I, I know, but like they, cause usually the, the line was like three at one point. So it's like each one seems like it's worth so much cause it gives, it brings you like 33% closer to that minimal threshold to get there. And Jerry, uh, Annie used you as one of the examples. Like, if you made another top eight, does it really change your mind about how we feel about you? Probably not. Probably not. So, but hey, it's an extra number in the box or whatever. So, hey, it doesn't matter. Magilton says your three are like a virtual four because you know you, you top eight <laughs> recently yeah, and all this way back to back. Then Ken's is a virtual six, and Heezy has a virtual two thousand pro points, and. <laughs> This is exactly what people are talking about, I think, where it's like you decide who you want to vote for and then you uh, reverse engineer metrics to make it so your voting makes sense. I've talked to some people who like, you know, it's like, screw Watsi and their system. I'm just going to vote for who I like. (laughs) There's some people who've told me they're going to do that. Um, Well, you should probably report them and get their vote taken away. (laughs) That would be the correct, nice Canadian thing to do. I guess you're right. You're right, Jerry. Um, they're... Unless they're voting for me. I need all the help. <laughs> I think they, they, you were in consideration for some of these people. Um, no, that's stupid. There's, there's no way I should get it. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a good shot, but based, based on the Twitterverse, I really think there's two locks and everyone might be looking at a Next year, I feel I feel like there's two strong locks, and then yeah, it's it's Seth and Lee, and then there's ten people who are splitting votes, and yeah. those people are all screwed. <laughs> I don't know who's coming in next year, then, but uh, I haven't looked uh, who might be coming in next year to compete with with a lot of you. Um, uh, but one question, Sergio Ferry, friend of everyone on oh, yeah. on cigarette. I love that guy. Um, I think everyone else does. And uh, he asked something that BBD actually asked in, in his thing. My thoughts on the MTG Hall of Fame, one of his questions he wanted to address was, why do community members without strong ties to competitive play have votes? And uh, as someone, I'll start first, as someone who didn't feel like he deserved to, to vote like many years ago because I was just some content guy, I'm not like... At the time, uh, I, I don't think I made the pro tour. Uh, I've made the pro tour twice. I have close ties to a lot of the top players in the game, and I do follow the, the, the game to a competitive standpoint. But at the time, they were just throwing it to anybody who's making content. It feels even if you were, I, I, I could be corrected, but correct me if I'm wrong in the comments. But people who are just like doing a commander cast. Um, or something unrelated to the Pro Tour were, were getting votes. And I think it's hard for 
even content producers to have a real grasp. Unlike we always compare, a lot of people compare the Hall of Fame to the Sports Hall of Fame, and I think it's hard because in the Sports Hall of Fame, you have these sports writers who are actually following these teams really closely because it's their job daily. They know a lot about these players. Uh, whereas, like a lot of us content producers, there's just a lot of players we don't know, and, and without having played at the PT even uh, or interacted with a lot of these people or, or watching them play um, a lot, it's it's. I think it's hard for a lot of community members to to have a good assessment. Now, I know like a lot of some YouTubers were jumping in and saying like, how, how do you know like where does the line where's the line drawn? How do you know I don't follow the the pro tour and stuff like that? Um, but, but I do feel, uh, a lot of people, myself included, uh, probably shouldn't get a vote a lot of the time. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, Jared, about who should have votes. Unless you're literally in on the ground floor, I think, you know, any given gold or platinum pro maybe gets 10 feature matches per year or something between pro tours and GPs. So it is impossible to tell like how good someone is like all the stuff between like oh, you is the best player, Shota's the best player, Owen's the best player, whatever, like, that is all going through social media and stuff, and, you know, it, it could be based in reality, or it could not be, like, who is who is the best between those three? I guess they're all tied for first, I don't know, you know? But can you actually cite to a specific example of, like, Owen playing like a master, or you playing like a master, or whatever? It's just like, no, like, I watch them play, they play good. And it doesn't seem like they make mistakes, but, like, who actually knows? I guess Luis said that Owen's really good, so I guess I'll take his word for it. And, you know, it, it is just kind of all nonsense because, like you said, you know, the sports writers are there. They're watching these people play. They're watching these teams and these players. And uh, Magic just doesn't have the same amount of thing. And certainly watching someone stream or whatever, I'm sure Derek can attest to this, is, like, not necessarily a good indicator of your play skill either. So who knows? <laughs> who knows how good anyone is? Some, some people would probably argue with you very heavily that is a good indicator of my play skill. But yes, it is, it is not easy to stream and play Magic, as I'm sure it's not easy to play well Magic all the time when people right. are watching you. Yeah. Like it, it goes both ways, right? For sure. So, so what do you have to go on? Uh, just a bunch of hearsay. Who, who's a cheater? I don't know. Let's see what Twitter has to say. <laughs> who, should, who should have a vote? Probably no one. Honestly. <laughs> I think I like that conclusion. Uh, hey, at one point, you were the number one player in the world. You know, that was the narrative at one point. Number one yeah, rated, at least. Sure. I, I won two tournaments back-to-back, and I was number one. And then I played in <laughs> other tournaments, and I was definitely not number one anymore. <laughs> uh, but, but you're right. It's a... Uh, it, it just doesn't translate well from, from the other sports. Like, there's no... Uh, if you just leave it to the players, then it might be too much of a popularity contest. But if you leave it to the media and community members, I really think a lot of us, myself included, don't have... You know, the reason I keep voting is I, I still feel like, compared to other community members, I actually know more of what's going on. I've played way more competitively than other people. But, like, honestly... I don't know exactly how good like Kenny Kihiro is. I haven't watched him enough to, to actually base my decision unless I did a lot of research. So, you know, maybe you're right. Like, maybe no one should be voting on this for now. Or, like, even people who, who commentate on, on the game constantly. I mean, I'm talking about like official Watsi coverage are probably the closest thing of, of 
people who are, whose job is to follow a lot of players, they probably don't have enough of a clue either. I, I don't know if that's you would agree with that, Jerry. Yeah, I mean, you also have to be able to judge people and like, how can you uh, judge a person's metrics, right? Like, does Marshall Sutcliffe know how to evaluate how good someone is at magic and, you know, what their community contributions are? Just like, no, it's just like hoping that you give a bunch of votes to different people with like different backgrounds and stuff and hope that the aggregate is good enough. And that's it. And it's not science or whatever. It kind of works, you know, that's, it's not like, I don't know, someone with like one PT top eight gets in every year or whatever. Like it mostly works. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. In the end, it's 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 what we have. Um, we're we're gonna wrap up this talk. Of I wanted your quick thoughts on Pakula. Do you value like these non these outside contributions to the game enough to to vote them in, or have you usually not had them on your your ballot? I think I flip flop like every year. Honestly, I don't know. Like if the the hall is supposed to be. Uh, just about like skill, which it kind of is. Like, there's some history there. It's like you know, Willie Adol has helped build his community, and like Saito did the same, and that's you know partly why he got voted in the first time and everything. Then, yeah, I mean, like Chris definitely gets some extra points, and the fact that he has been very close a bunch of different years, it's just like, well, clearly, you know, a lot of other people think the same way that he should be in there, and now with the restrictions for how you get in like you need 60 percent of the vote instead of 40 and it's harder to stay on the ballot and all this stuff now it's like well it's less likely that he's gonna get in does that mean that i should be more likely to vote for him or whatever just to kind of like counterbalance that it, it's it's kind of stupid i mean ultimately at the end of it i i think that he should be in um so i don't know i think when i was looking today i had like four votes that i was pretty happy about and then chris will probably be my fifth but who knows? Everything could change. Like, there could be 10 more cheating allegations coming out tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> but then followed by, hey, you're just biased, Post. So I think that, that was going to yeah. counter that. Uh, Edgar, let's, let's, do you have any horses in the, you, have you followed the game enough to have any horses in this HOF discussion? Yeah, I read a lot of Twitter. So I'd probably just echo chamber a lot of the stuff that I would see on there. But uh, I, I do think that, the Hall of Fame is a bit of an old boys club and that I actually think that the community members, I, I, I don't know exactly. And, and Jerry uh, said something about like people like the marshals of the world, like maybe not knowing enough to, to make uh, an informed vote. But personally, I think that that kind of balances the issue a little bit and makes it less of a, less of a popularity contest to say, to say it bluntly. Doesn't it make it more of a popularity contest, though? It's I like, don't know. I, I feel like that the... Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like some, uh, most of the community member votes would have less of a, a bias towards, like, oh, the, I, like, tested with this person for four years. I want them to be in the Hall of Fame type thing. But maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it might not be, oh, I worked with this person and they were funny or they let me make fun of them or whatever. Uh, it could just be like, oh, this person, like, plays basketball with me. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Marshall is a specifically bad example. But like maybe somebody on the coverage team who doesn't work so closely with the players or doesn't play basketball with them. Like maybe they could give a more 
what is the word, objectively uh, unbiased outlook towards the whole thing. But then again, like there's a lot of factors that go into it also. And it's the whole thing of like, what do you decide as skill? Is it just PT top eights? Is it GP top eights? Is it consistency over years? Is it uh, conversion rate of PTs played to PTs top aided? Is it community helping? Is it whatever, right? I don't know. It's obviously <laughs> very, very complicated. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is, you know, the traditional way to do it is you pick who you want to vote for and then you just decide which metrics of those are important to you so that you can justify your voting. I think... Yeah, the, the chat mentioned how like having the media members, like content members like me might might be more objective about it. But I, I also feel the danger of that is that a lot of these people are just following the, the Twitter popular votes. I think a lot of these right. content producers are going to do that. And um, and for me, like in the first few years where I had a ballot, I basically used stats. I remember the first ballot I voted in, uh, I voted in Ben Stark, Huey Jensen, and Whoever the third guy, oh, who also clearly made it in. Um, is it that long? Yeah. I'm, I wasn't, voted it, wasn't it Luis? Was it Luis? I think that the slam dunk here. Could have been. Man, it was, it was way. Was it that long ago? Yeah, it was Luis. Well, LSV, Huey. Ben Stark, uh, easy slam dunk picks, and uh, I went with mostly um, a lot of a lot of stats and people saying that Huey was one of the best players in the world or, or top three uh, during his era. So that made it pretty easy. And I think that's the danger that a lot of content producers who have uh, or YouTubers who have votes are likely to do. Some have spoken that they will not vote because they actually say, "I have no clue what I'm talking about," so I'm just going to abstain. So. Right, and Huey, Huey missed by one vote the year before, and it was because he had just started his comeback. Not a lot of people knew who he was, and then I, I think he had more Grand Prix results, but maybe not another Pro Tour top eight the next year. But it was like enough hype had built up around him and enough people had talked about him. And Magic Twitter is primarily in English, so you know if, if you're an English speaker, you read and understand English like, you're going to see that stuff and more and more people are just going to vote for him because they're going to see more and more people talking about him. But it's like, what does Japanese Twitter have to say about Ken Yukihiro? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Japanese people. <laughs> yeah, all, all 10 of them probably that have a vote. The translate function on Twitter is not good enough to facilitate this. It is, it is not. I tried going through Ken's Twitter today. <laughs> Clearly, the Hall of Fame just proves that democracy sucks and we should abolish it. I still remember, Jerry, one of the first times you ever mentioned me, which was eight years ago, was when I actually tried to translate a lot of Japanese deck lists. And we're talking about when the internet was not, like, there was no Reddit, there was no, like, MTG Goldfish. Like, I had to go digging and try to translate and, and actually met up uh, with Kenji Samura online, chatted with him. Like, there was a lot of suffering and effort going on for me to figure out what the Japanese were playing over there. So, mm-hmm. And I don't think uh, it's been any easier since, even <laughs> if we've advanced in other ways here. All right. Um, we're going we're gonna to wrap the, the Hall of Fame topic and just move on to um, 
the whole Alex Bernicini, just a few comments on that. Uh, Fun. Whole thing. <laughs> so, Edgar, when you go to compete at a GP, are you worried about cheaters? Um, I mean, yes. I, I might not be as vigilant as I should be, and, and nobody is, and it's, it's shitty that it's something that exists. Um, obviously, magic tournaments would be better without them, and they, it does having them exist does does create an imbalance, which is, which is poor. So yeah, it is an issue in general for sure. Uh, it was cool to see Ari Lax post a bunch of uh, what he feels would be minimal fixes, and. I think besides him, that there have been talk of more harsh. I think a lot of players want more harsh penalties, or for him to be banned uh, immediately right now because there's no upside to having him keep playing. Um, Jerry, is that is that how you feel? Yes, absolutely. Should I should I expand on that at all? Is it necessary? I mean, I, I love hearing you talk, so please. Cheating is theft. It is stealing, straight up. Uh, either you are stealing equity from your opponents or you're stealing their love of the game or whatever. If you sit down and play against Alex, you know he's a cheater. Then you are, you are stressed, you're anxious. You have to go through all of this crap that you shouldn't have to do just in order to try and play this fun thing that you wanted to do, right? It no longer becomes fun. Uh, BBD was spot on where it was just like, you know, they, they ban people for making uh, others feel, like, you know, unsafe and unwelcome and all that. It's just, like, having cheaters be around is just as bad. Andy? Oh, I absolutely agree. Uh, we, we've talked about uh, cheaters on the, the cast before, and honestly, I, I was on the ban them forever, like, the second time for sure, and the first time... I don't know, maybe ban them forever, but let them have a probation of some sort. Like, because if you get banned for cheating, they had done a case essentially on you, whether or not that case was enough, like for you to feel like it, it's worth, uh, like the, the fail, the fail safe of like people who get banned who don't deserve, but I don't know how often that happens. I, I, I'm not too worried about that. I'm more worried about the cheaters who just get to keep playing and I'm really interested to see what Derek has to say because he he loves cheaters. Oh god. I don't love cheaters. I just am very anti there there's this huge uh sort of snowball effect that that Twitter has and the internet has with victimizing these people and I don't like that methodology. I think if Alex specifically found a way to either repay or do something to to like basically repay what he stole and took from those people and apologize and all these things then he should be allowed to play play other than that like i don't think he should be allowed to play but obviously like wizard just hasn't banned him yet so forever um obviously i don't think that's a very common take I think most people think like if you steal or cheat twice, you should just be out of the game once even. Um, I'm probably a lot more lenient when it comes to that, but that might just be me being naive. I don't know. That's all well and good, but he does not care about doing any of that. He is oh, I, 
I completely understand. Like, it's not in his range to do that. I completely understand that people who lie and cheat in the first place aren't, that's not on their agenda, right? They're just trying to get whatever they can out of it. But uh, I think that, like, in, in a perfect, in my perfect world, in order for him to keep playing, he should have to do something like that in order for him to keep playing. But, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. You, you want him to incur some cost rather than just time off. I want him to take some sort of punishment that isn't just a slap on the wrist that Wizards already give him. Which, sure. to, to me, like people, people on the internet are, are very quick to say he should just be banned. But I think that we should maybe talk about something else. But obviously, it's all the same thing when you look at it from afar, right? He shouldn't be playing until X happens or he shouldn't be playing, right? I mean, he's not going to come up with 50K, and he's definitely not going to part with that out of the goodness of his heart. Oh. <laughs> so just get him out. Why is yeah. he here? No, I, I agree. I, I hate that. I hate that the, the people who cheat and they come back to the game and they're like, oh, he's paid his dues. But it's like they've never even, they've never even admitted it. Like, to me, that, that matters a lot because, like, you're still a, a piece of shit, a part of my language. When you steal from all these people, and you just don't admit it, and you come back, you're like, well, I was back on for a while, just going to slide on back in here. When it's not, it's, it would matter a lot to me if they admitted it. And I don't know why that is. Maybe that's just some weird psyche thing for just me, but it would matter a whole lot if, like, Fabricio was like, yes, I cheated. I'm very sorry. Like, even though, obviously, there's huge, like, financial things uh, tied with that that he should have to give back. But even just him admitting it would just matter to me no i agree i i think it shows something along the lines of like they are willing to repent and actually try to go clean from here on out but to just be like i never cheated ha 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 like why would i ever believe that you're even willing to stop cheating at that point if you're just going to make a mockery of the entire thing I feel like, uh, man, has Jared Bradford come back yet? I feel like he's going to just squeeze he's back in. back soon, I think. He's just going to squeeze in. I don't think oh, he's is, he, is he still on ban? I thought he was off. How long ago was that? Not long enough. I think he's off, but not interested from what I heard, which is a good thing. Yeah, like that. I thought that was like three or four years ago. Wasn't it? I don't know. Yeah, I haven't heard about him. It's- Probably for the best. But I, but I can see him just like whoop going back in and, and start playing again. So yeah, with, it would just with, be nice. If, it would just be nice if they admitted their mistakes and at, at least put up the illusion that they're attempting to change or that there is something for them to change from. Not just like, well, I'm back to magic, going to play just the same clean way I always played, but got banned for by accident. Oh, it, I, I'm very. Uh, it makes me very mad. I'm right there with you. Do you think Andy? Do you have? Do you think Watsi's going to do anything? Like, are they going to decide? Like, they decide to uh, enough enough pull happen so that they ban that MTG headquarters guy. Yeah. So that the banning the headquarters guy is what gives me an ounce of faith, or maybe half an ounce of faith, that Watsi will do the right thing and just ban Alex for making people uncomfortable at tournaments. Every single time he's there, no matter what, there's no benefit to the game outside of Alex himself or maybe his close friends to having him there. And that 
far is far outweighed by the effect it has to everyone else in the tournament hall. As you could hear when he was announced in the top eight, and a rain of booze was showered upon him, as he rightfully deserves. Nobody wants him there, and it makes it a worse experience for way more people than it makes a better experience for for him being allowed. Oh, I wish I was there for the booing. But I, I imagine he just doesn't care. Um, no, nah, he eats it up, for sure. Did you see his top eight profile? Yeah, turned over a new leaf, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, uh, we can't, like, uh, the people in chat are asking for it. We can't, like, move on from this without mentioning it a bit. Uh, Derek, Matthew Folk's uh, situation, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so uh, Matt this weekend was playing at English Nationals, and uh, so the story goes that I've heard. He didn't hand his deck list in on time, um, so after round one, I don't know what the reason was he didn't hand it in, he went to go to the judge table to hand it in, and they asked him if he had a goodie bag, and he had said no, and I guess they found out through some means that he had, and they disqualified him from the event for lying to a tournament official. And uh, I've heard some stories say that they asked to look through his bag uh, and stuff like that. But he, he basically made a tweet about it saying, I'm a big idiot. That was stupid. I was just trying to get some value. And uh, a lot of people are taking this. Uh, there's two extreme sides, basically. Um, one is it's stealing. Given the opportunity, he might try to do that again or in a bigger sense, try to steal something more. And then uh, on the other side, it's, he just made a mistake. That's just in his personality. He, it didn't really mean anything. The promo wasn't worth that much. However you want to put it. Um, do, to me? Do you, <laughs> sorry, continue. Do you think he feels bad about doing it, like regret about doing it, outside of the fact that he got caught? uh no i don't i don't think so i think so from what i know about matt uh is he loves value and i've heard him say the phrase you gotta try and i think it's within his range to try that and if he if he got away with it he would be almost bragging about it and to me uh I don't like to pass judgment, too much judgment on this sort of thing, but the, there's facts of the matter. And what he did was scummy and bad. And you can paint it however you want. Uh, yeah. His his tweet was notably lacking an apology. Mm-hmm. It I was, I did this dumb thing. Ha ha. Yeah. Oosh. Yeah. Really. I, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm friends with Matt. I like to say I'm friends with Matt, but um, personally, it's hard. It's hard for me to be friends with him right now during a time like this because a lot of people are coming for him, and uh, it, it's not it's not a good look. And it's it's very hard to stand up for your friends. I think when they're doing bad things, where if it was somebody I didn't know did that, I, I would probably throw them under the bus. Um, and it's. It's sort of like a check. It's like, what? Uh, how, how do we evaluate this, right? Um, it's one of the reasons why I don't like to get too involved because I, I think it's, it's a little too personal. But just don't, just don't have bad friends. 
it's it, it uh i know i love i know a lot of people who are friends with uh bert and Cheney. well not a lot of people but i've heard stories about people who were friends with bert and Cheney before the stealing thing and they said he was a really nice guy and he was charismatic and when they came out that he was cheating there's a lot of articles and people didn't believe it because they thought alex would never do that um not to say that i'm justifying their behavior but it's uh it's you you can't always make the right judgment like it's hard to make the right judgment constantly i think this is where self-evaluation and personal evaluation comes in a lot and it's like uh you gotta you gotta keep checking yourself you can't you can't let these things flow by the riverside or whatever you want to call it you gotta like you know evaluate them I don't know. That's where I'm at. It, for it, I haven't really made a decision on how I feel about it 100% yet. Uh, One of the kind folks on Twitter when uh, I was calling out Matt for teaming with Fabrizio was just like, yo, Fabrizio is is a cool dude. You should go talk to him sometime. He'll explain the whole situation like he's a really nice guy. And it's like, yeah, most criminals are very charismatic and appear very nice. That's how they get away with all their shit, right? Yeah, one thing that they all have in common is that, like, outside, if you didn't know anything about their allegations, they're extremely charming. Like, they're fun to be around. You really want to be around them. You let your guard down. And that's exactly the game. That's part of the game. Um, Jerry, Jerry, I'm I'm curious because when I was an outsider, when you were bringing in this, doing really well on the SUG circuit when it first started, were you friends with Bernchini at the beginning? Because the outsider, like me, just following, like, I thought everyone doing well. We're friends like you, AJ, Edgar, Bernchini, like that whole SCG circuit group. Have you ever had a coworker that you know is like skimming from the till, and you don't really like them, but if it if it comes to light that they're just like <laughs> robbing everyone, that you know, like your job is in jeopardy. It was kind of like that. It's like if anytime I badmouth Alex, it reflects poorly on SCG. And then it's just like SCG could just can me at any time. And, you know, I was making good money with them. And, like, you know, don't get me wrong. I was never, like, an Alex apologist or whatever. If someone was like, hey, does Alex cheat? I'd be like, yes, obviously. But, like, I wasn't writing articles about how he was cheating or tweeting about it or whatever. And now I'm just over it. Like, you know, that, that dude is scum, has been scum for a very long time. He was ahead of me in the player of the year race where like first place got a set of power by like three points or something, something small. He asked me if I wanted to split and I was like, all right, so you're ahead of me in points. I know you're cheating. You know, I'm clean and you still want to split with me. So like, clearly you're free rolling me, right? Like you're just not going to pay if I, if, or if you win or whatever. And it's like, yeah, sure enough. Like, I'm just like, yeah, man, whatever. I'll split with you. And he wins because he wins the Invitational, wins the set of power, doesn't pay me, gets banned, uses that as an excuse to, to not pay me. Like, oh, I don't have any money. And it's just like, all right, man, sure, whatever. Like, wow. I, I, knew, I knew exactly what he was around this time. And if, if you asked me to my face, I would have told you. Wow. To, to add to, to the charismatic point, Andy, um, Mike Long... Um, Mike Long actually started uh, I mentioned this on, on previous episodes of whatever show I've done, uh, he started like one of the first subscription 
uh, MTG sites, MTG Insider. And uh, that's where I subbed and Sam Stoddard also subbed, who, who now I think still works with Watsi. And he decided, I think he used that as a, as a test uh, for, his, for his marketing thing because eventually he would actually team up. I've seen him with, on video ads with like uh, videos on YouTube with Ty Lopez trying to sell like a marketing course and using all that charisma. And he has that. Mike Long has that uh, freaking charisma and making money selling infinite expensive courses that probably people don't really need. So, um, yeah, I'm thinking about that. And also, like, how crazy it is that Mark Rosewater constantly wants him in the hall. And it's like, what? I, th- I think that's crazy. Uh, what do you think, Jerry? It's like, why does he keep... It's complete absurdity. If you want to talk about, like, oh, you know, Mike Long was important to the history of the game, even though he very easily could have just not existed, that's fine. Don't put him in the Hall of Fame where he gets Pro Tour invites. What? Why, why would you want him to play current Pro Tours? Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Also, yeah, can we just forget that dude? Can we just never mention his name again? I'd be fine with that. I'm down. I'm down with that. Yeah, re- reading that whole thing, it, it's so bizarre because Morrow just loves magic so much. And he has this horrible take on what the Hall of Fame means to him. And it's so far away from everyone else's. I just can't believe that Twitter is free. Every day I wake up, I'm like, man, what am I going to do today? Load up Twitter on my phone. I'm like, oh, we're in for a good one today, boys. And I go on this nice little reading railroad down these little rabbit holes of Twitter threads on hot takes that people have. And people respond to it with 100% like seriousness. And they're like, bro, what are you doing? Somebody's wrong on the internet. So good. It's my favorite thing about Twitter. Oh my God. I can't believe, I can't believe we don't have to pay for it. I just can't believe it. We, we see all these like Harry um, and, and Matt's apology, half apology, like whatever. <laughs> he said like really um, stirred Cedric up and uh, I really want people to check out Cedric's uh, Facebook blog because it was, it was awesome. I enjoyed reading it and uh, really feel, really understood uh, where he came from. Um, and so people who don't follow him, definitely follow him and, and read that. And then there's, there's always these tweets about, I don't know, to me, I guess I follow the right people or I just stay away from, from the negative noise because there's a lot of people, oh man, magic is still positive. It's not all doom and gloom. And, and I've never felt it was doom and gloom. So I, follow, I just stay away and follow the right people and converse with the right people. So Nah, you're I've just a positive dude. <laughs> I've been safe from him from like 2010. And I joined Twitter way before any of you guys, uh, most of you. Um, okay, let's, let's wrap it up with uh, Jerry. You're coming. Are you still coming to Montreal for DreamHack? Yeah, man. All right. Uh, if you need a place, I mean, I, I do. I do. You can, you can come in. So tell us what you're going to do. I saw you tweeted uh, J- Justin Wong, and I'm obviously a fan because of Evo and stuff like that. Um, so what are you coming at down to DreamHack for? What's your, uh, what's your goal? Uh, I've, I've been, well, when did this happen? Maybe like GP Nashville or something. Josh Cho got me into Hearthstone. And after playing with, like, the crappy pre-con decks for a while, it was like, all right, I'm either going to quit this game or spend $500, right? 
And naturally, I spent the $500, built some real <laughs> decks, went super deep on the game. And since then, I've basically gone super deep on like every other reasonable card game that has existed. And Shadowverse is basically the only one that I play almost every day. For whatever reason, like that game just sticks with me. It resonates with me a little bit more than the other things do. And I mean, the easiest way to describe it is it's anime Hearthstone. It's it's very similar mechanically and everything. And I'm going to DreamHack to play in a Shadowverse tournament. Oh. <laughs> I love that. that emphasis. That was boss. Uh, I, I actually decided because, you know, if you're going to come here, I might, I might as well join you and see what's up and uh, actually downloaded the app, started it. And it's like, uh, I'm doing the, the initial tutorial and it feels like a story with cutscenes, anime Hearthstone, like you said. It just feels very much like Hearthstone. The, the first two uh, story tutorial thingies that you start with. Yeah, just wait until you get past that. Like, if they've given you, like, your mountain of free packs yet, or... No, no, I haven't gotten better yet. You'll get, you'll get at least, like, 50 or 60 free packs. Like, definitely when you start, you can, like, disenchant your entire collection and build a Tier 1 deck. Like, it is, it is really good. And right now they have promotions going on because they just came out with, like, a mini card set, and uh, they just got hit 19 million downloads. So it's, like, every day you're just getting, like, new stuff. Like, the game is super generous, so it's basically free to check out. Like, it is awesome. So it's the it's deeper mechanics that appeal to you more than Hearthstone? The classes feel more unique to me. Like, Hearthstone kind of has this issue with... Uh, certainly, like, the neutral cards being ubiquitous. Uh, you know, they, they rotate some of the stuff, like Azure Drake or whatever, but the classes themselves don't really have that much of an identity. And also, when you play on ladder with Shadowverse, like, it's the same thing with Hearthstone, where, like, you see your opponent's class, right? But, like, you don't know, like, actually what deck they're playing because there is so much diversity within the different classes also. So, yeah, the... I, I think, like, the games are a little bit funner for me. Uh, again, like this is all personal, and there is a lot more diversity. They give you a bunch of free stuff. Uh, they have like more playable cards per set, which leads to all the diversity, which also makes it a lot cooler to be a brewer and stuff like that. And then they come out with content a little bit more regularly. So it's just like it's kind of like everything I love, you know. And like you say, you, you it just it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you wouldn't have to spend five hundred dollars to be competitive. No, uh, I've I've spent I've definitely spent less than five hundred dollars on Shadowverse. And how did you hear about this tournament? Like, I think I, I quick checked the quick price structure. Like, if you win, it qualifies you for something else. I I don't actually know what their esports <laughs> scene is like. I've tried to follow it. It's confusing as hell. Same as Hearthstone. Same as Magic. Now, uh, I know that they have like a world championship thing at the end of the year where I think winner gets a million dollars. And I know that this is like part of the path to qualifying, but I don't, I don't know. I just want to battle, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Is this going to be the first like Shadowverse event you're traveling for? This is, this is the first Shadowverse tournament I played. Like they, they have like mini tournaments in game, which is rad. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is the first thing that I've ever traveled for. And I don't even know what made me think about doing this. It was just like, I, you know, I, I saw uh, Quinn Kiefer like crush the, the Hearthstone dream hack that I think was in Denver or whatever. And it's like, that looks rad. I want to do that, you know? So then I uh, was just looking at Shadowverse tournaments and stuff, and this popped up, and I had a free weekend, so. You're still in Seattle, right? I am. 
It's like, what made you travel to like fly all the way here? Even Air, <laughs> Air Canada flights are like 200 bucks. What? That's okay. Insane. That is insane. That's absolutely insane. And, and I didn't know it yet, but I get to stay with you, which is like, come on. You know, I'm definitely going then. All right. Uh, are you checking? Are you a fan of the other things that will be going on? Like all the fighting games? I, I think there is. Well, there's also obviously a Hearthstone tournament as well. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm gonna walk around and and see if anything catches my fancy or whatever. But I don't I don't watch a ton of fighting game stuff. But it's not because it doesn't appeal to me. Like I do think it is super cool and interesting. It's just I don't know. Uh, nothing has really made me like stick with it. It just seems like for the most part, you know, like a, a new game shows up and then it rotates and like a new game shows up, whatever. So. Yeah, I, I messaged Justin Wong. I don't even know who he is. I just know that he has like 100,000 followers and was talking about playing Shadowverse. And I was all about trying to make that connection. So. Oh, man. I wish he knew who you were. That'd be awesome. Like, he's one of the best uh, fighting game or the most known American fighting game guy at, at one point. So. Okay. So I was just shooting for the moon then. Yeah, yeah, basically. He, he's, like, he's like one of the most famous uh, fighting game players ever. Rad. Yeah, I, I think the Shadowverse official account retweeted him, and I was like, yeah, I'll definitely help this guy learn Shadowverse. Let's go. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to wrap things up. Edgar, what's, what's uh, on the horizon for you? What's next, my man? Uh, I got the RPTQ this weekend in Montreal, actually. Uh, and then Grand Prix Richmond, Grand Prix Detroit. Just trying to get I'm three points off gold, and I still got an open Grand Prix slot, so I'm trying to do that. I believe in How you, Edgar. Sh- Thank you, Gary. I appreciate that. How many shots do you have? Is there still a lot of time? Yeah, I, I actually lose uh, zero points with the first quarter rotation, so I, I have until December to hit. So I, I got a pretty, pretty good shot, I think. Um, when's the next, uh, man, when's the next content for you? When's the next SCG article? I don't know, man. I got to message Cedric, I guess, if there's demand. <laughs> updated, I, I, updated I, I, amulet. Yeah, well, well, we'll we'll see. I haven't been playing that deck much recently. Maybe people want to know about blue, black, medium cards. Hey, maybe. I, I would want to know more from you, uh, Andy. What's up for you? I got uh, the, the standard RPTQ in two weeks, and uh, GP Detroit after that. Some Team Unified Modern. Hmm. Saucy and Derek. Uh, yeah, I got the RPTQ in two weeks, and then GP Detroit, and then Montreal. After that, I think I'm I'm six points off bronze, so I'm really trying to grind out those points so I don't have to play these pre TQs anymore. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a real hard grind out here. But how many trophies do you have? Uh, <laughs> I have nineteen on Moto. Damn! So I I, uh, I sent out a tweet for because like me and another guy Cody who's actually been on the show before we're looking for a third for GP Detroit and Jabberwocky messages me the week before the the GP he goes hey man like I'm thinking about flying out to Detroit depends on how I do in LA I need X number of points to hit gold or whatever and if I flunk in LA like uh, I I want to go to Detroit and I. I'm interested in being your third. I'm like, okay, man. Well, like, I'm sure you'll do well in LA. And uh, there's actually like a couple other people asking me. So uh, I'm going to go with them if that's okay with you. But like, <laughs> good luck in LA. And then he wins LA. 
and now he's on a team with like Cedric and somebody else, and I'm just like, Woo-hoo! have you ever punted that hard? I didn't even know the story before the show. This is amazing. Yeah, nobody else knows the story because like it just happened between me and him. Like I didn't, I didn't really tell anybody about it, but yeah, like. Now I'm out here, you know, maybe we'll make day two, but we're going to have fun. Darren, <laughs> um, you've been busy since, since the PT, so we haven't had you out. What, what does coverage call you now? Oh, I'm a moto superstar. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, it was like round three of the, the PT or round four, and I, th- I think we just lost, and I get up and my phone's going off. I have, like, four different people sending me the message, MTGO Superstar in quotes. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, they, they, they name-dropped you while they were talking about Dave Rude and called you an MTGO Superstar. And I'm like, me? Like, do they know? Like, all I do is play Moto. I don't know if that makes me a superstar. Like, well, this is my claim to fame? Yeah, and then, and then Jabberwocky wins the, the GP. And, I mean, like, he only has 18 trophies on Moto, so, like, Technically, we're tied, but uh, I have more trophies, so that's all that matters. Well, he has the real-life one to tie you, right? Yeah, but it only, it only, it's only one trophy, right? Yeah. I mean, he actually didn't even get his trophy because they accidentally sent it to Providence. So. Oh, see? Well, I'm, I'm up for technically like another probably like week or so. so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. As for me, nothing on the horizon. Busy. Um... I, I didn't post it on Facebook, Jerry, so I don't know. Like, I got married. That's why I moved in with my wife here and a new place. Nice. Um, and have taken it easy on the competitive front, but we'll be putting in the grind and checking out. Any free time, I'm going to be checking out Shadowverse and playing a lot. I've been playing a lot of Red 7, which is a, a card game that I'm starting to fall in love with. Uh, just those simple card games like Love Letter, if you guys have played uh, mini card games like that. And so, yeah, focusing on Chalver shouts to Phil Sams, who's excited to see me and you, Jerry, at GP Montreal. He's going to be flying here as well to check out DreamHack. Um, anything, and last but not least, you, Jerry, what's, what's new plugging, besides plugging the game podcast, which I still think is the best competitive podcast on the planet, and anyone who competes in Magic at, wants to compete at the highest level or even at the GP level, at the FNM level, would be best to check out your pod. Um, my number one recommendation. Edgar started listening to it, and he just immediately top eight at a Grand Prix with an unplayable deck. So it's got to be good, right? To be fair, I listened to it from the beginning, but I joined the Discord <laughs> the Discord four days ago, and uh... <laughs> immediately paying dividends. No, as for me, I'm kind of taking it easy. Uh, I have. A dead week this week, then I'm doing PAX West, I think, instead of GP Richmond. And then there's the Dream Hack, the weekend of GP Detroit, and then there's Worlds at some point. And yeah. In the meantime, just making content. Keep training it out. Keep it. I think. Yeah, I've talked to someone who thinks like there's, there's different, there's still different avenues that someone with your skill set skill set should could take advantage of but i don't like i remember jerry okay i don't want to stand for some reason this episode you remember when lsv came out and a bunch of pros came out with like draft ebooks 
I remember that. Yeah, and it was yeah. like on Amazon. I I assume those didn't really sell really well because they stopped doing them. That's because no one cares about limited. But yet, limited resources is the number one podcast in Magic. I think. I mean, it was for sure no, true. It, it is. It still is for sure. Uh, it's just like he's been doing it for so long. I think a lot of people listen week to week, and then they just ignore all other limited content it's, because. If you're going to Star City and you primarily play limited, like you're going to find maybe one article per week or like once every two weeks or something. So you just stop going, right? And then it's like Marshall's thing is where you know you can go every week to find out about draft and sealed and all that stuff. So uh, I, I think he has cultivated, uh, he's done a very good job at cultivating like a really sick following just by being super consistent and always being about the same thing. It makes me curious how, because going to pre-release or going to a draft, I've always checked LSV's like limited reviews just to see, like, get a quick grasp of if if I'm really, really off or if I'm on the same page as them. I wonder if those like do well. Uh, I'm really curious because that's limited limited content that I always go out and check. So I wonder if I'm just a small percentage of people though. So no, I, I assume that they do do really well because people know where to find them. But you're, you're just never going to think to check on SCG because there's almost never any limited content there. And there's no limited content there because no one clicks on it. So it's like this vicious cycle. But Marshall has been doing his thing for so long. Like, you know, I'm sure if you started a limited only podcast in 2005 or whatever, like you would also have thousands of listeners. It's just he's just the only game in town. I still find promoting... Um... Podcast a challenge uh, because it. I feel there's some friction, especially for people who don't, you know, have a podcast app. They don't. A lot of people don't know what like a podcast is. In my opinion, they don't like they don't have anything to download it to their phone. So when they like see like when either of us have our shows post like a bunch of tweets, iTunes, Stitcher, and stuff like that, and I feel a lot of people they're like you know they don't know what to do with that information. So I've always felt it's a challenge. Yeah, I was trying to get Kenji Samura to start podcasting or at least doing what you're talking about, where it's like he has the skill set to make various forms of content and actually be successful and make a bunch of money, you know, and he just kind of seems like stuck right now with with what he's doing, just working for Haruya and like streaming a little bit. It's like, dude, you're so good. Like people just want to hear from you. What is the best way that they can hear from you? And I was like, our podcast popular in Japan. He's just like, what's a podcast? And it's like. Okay, that's fine. That's okay. As long as you get everyone to listen to it once, just get in the habit. Like everyone is on public transportation. They're playing games on their phone, not listening to anything or maybe listening to music. They can listen to you talk about magic for sure. So you, you, it just needs to be habit forming. And if he did a podcast with Yuya or whatever, like game over. Everyone would listen. I guarantee it. I would listen. Yeah. I don't even speak Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Saito Wayfinder, just, like, these pictures uh, on Twitter, they get, like, so, so much reach, so much retweets and, and comments. People are super excited about that stuff. And, yeah, we don't see enough of that type of content uh, from them that they could just make and, and easily, easily eventually monetize. So, anyways, that does it for us. Thank you so much, Jerry, for coming on the show. Really, really extremely appreciate it. and. Uh, I mean, I'll see you in two weeks. Hell yeah. Right here. See you in two weeks. As uh, for Andy, Edgar, Jerry, Derek, and myself, uh, 
Thank you for joining us. If you're watching us live, give the YouTube channel a thumbs up. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash first strike. And thanks for supporting. Leave a comment, do whatever. Love you guys. See you next time.